Welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Recap Show for Season 13, Episode 6, titled Disco Mentry. My name is Joe Batanz, and I am joined, as always, by one disco ball of a co-host. From <laughs> the podcast pod is my co-pilot. Please say... Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Thrust it forward, thrust it forward, thrust it forward. And push and up, push and up, push, relax the face, have fun, ow. To Taylor, <laughs> the Latte Boy. Hello, Taylor, the Latte Boy. How are you? Joseph, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. You know, as you know, over at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia, you and I just, I, you know, we had probably one of the longest episodes of Just Between Us Girls where you talked about uh, some new additions to your home. Mm-hmm. You know? You also, we also talked about the lies you tell. Uh, <laughs> yes, the lies that I tell. Uh-huh. The untruths, fallacies, lies, deceptions, just every, everything that I do that I, I just am. And, and what a cruel person I am. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you confessed it here on the air. And then, uh, <laughs> and then how you lost out on a chance for a Comic Con exclusive Wonder Woman doll. Mm, yeah. We'll see. By the way, if Taylor ever gets that Comic Con exclusive Wonder Doll Woman Doll, look forward on Patreon to season four of RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> right here on Afterthought Media. Hmm. Anyway, uh, if you want to join Patreon, which by the way, guys, the Patreon is so good and it's only going to get better. I know what's coming. I know someone who works there, and I know what's coming down the the pike. So is that the right phrase to say? And uh, I think so. yeah. And so uh, go to patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. And if you just join at the $5 premium level, oh, my God, the content you're getting right now, it is insane. The weekends, I don't know how people even have time to listen to the shows in the weekends. so many shows that come out on the weekends. It's insane. Anyway, patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. All right, Taylor. This week, the queens pair up to create garments out of wallpaper to put on a history of disco dance number. Olivia Lux thrills the judges with her disco inferno, while rivals Candy Muse and Tamisha Iman are forced to take shake their groove things in a lip sync battle for their lives. In the end, Candy Muse lives to see another day, while Tamisha Iman is asked to sashay away. Taylor the Latte Boy named two things you liked about the episode and one thing you did not. This might have been, with the exception of the last two minutes of the show, my favorite episode of the season so oh, far. Oh, really? Interesting. I very much – because it was a content-heavy show mm-hmm. in that there were storylines. There was okay. things to focus on other than just the challenge and then, you know, the the, the, the the looks and then the elimination and stuff. So in that regards, I really kind of liked the episode. I love the fact that it was – in many ways, um, a way to teach the children, because as we saw, a lot of people didn't necessarily know references from disco and which surprised me a lot, considering, you know, a lot of these queens work in where they work and, and that kind of thing. But uh, and I I loved the I liked the I liked the uh, moments between uh, I liked Olivia's story. Olivia's mirror moment I thought was was really interesting and it helped to show a little bit more about her that we didn't necessarily know. The thing that I didn't like, which I think a lot of people necessarily don't like, is I hate that Tamisha's not with the show anymore. I think that the elimination stinks. Um, 
I, do I think that she had what it takes to go have gone all the way? No, but I think I, I feel like we lost her before her story was complete. Um, and that, that made me a little sad, but what about you? What are the two things you like? And the one thing you did not. So I would say the two things liked about the episode. First of all, I'm going to be honest with you, even though we're not seeing a lot of Rose. Uh, you know, early on, I was kind of hard on her for just being, um, you know, a, a symptom of the jandemic that we've been suffering through. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, um, but, uh, she's coming on her own and I think she's very talented. They're not really showcasing her very much. And also, I don't know what it is. I don't, not very many people watch Drag Race Holland, but there was someone like this on Drag Race Holland where the confessional version of themselves, that they, I guess the, 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 the dolled up version that they put themselves for confessionals, I wasn't really a fan of, but then seeing them walk around the work, I'm like, oh, so like Rose is a perfect example. Like Rose and the confessionals, I'm all like, why did you choose this look? I don't like it. But then, uh, on, uh, on, the uh in the workroom I'm like Rose is very cute. So yeah. that's that's one thing too. Uh next, again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't know if it's a concerted effort. I don't know what the deal is, but RuPaul seems a lot happier on this season. And I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing to see. Uh yeah. and then the one thing I didn't like, we're going to talk about cuz believe it or not, in terms of storylines, I don't really have a lot to say about this episode. However, there are a lot of producer-driven aspects of this episode that I have a lot to say on and that kind of really bother me. Uh, I, f- I feel that this story, I feel this episode is very producer-driven where. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with, especially the first act felt very producer driven but uh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but yeah go ahead i'm agreeing with you dare you sir anyway uh (laughs) no but also just the fact that um i have a whole speech about this but a lot of things that happened in this episode if you watch closely you're like i wouldn't even say producer driven to be honest with you because to me when i say producer driven in terms of the show i mean on set story producers who are coordinating things where i think that's that but what we're seeing too is some uh post-producing post-production stuff where producers post uh episode are doing things that i think are shady and uh there's some shady judging and and there's a lot to discuss there but um and so i think in other words i'll give you a, a hint i think a lot of things are being ignored or focused on because they wanted i think they wanted to get tamisha out of there for whatever reason it could have been just for medical reasons it could be you know they, they know that tamisha has you know medical issues and they just they get time for her to go or and um uh but i feel that the candy versus so like we need to have, we just need to do the candy v tamisha thing now uh i don't know if necessarily those two should have been in the bottom yeah, no, I would agree with that. I I don't think that g- given given the critiques that Utica got, I was really sort of hoping, for lack of a better word, even though it could have been one or the other, um, that it was going to be Candy versus Utica. 
-hmm. Not that I want to see Utica go either, but I feel that Utica got more negative critiques than Tamisha did on the, on the runway as far as, particularly as far as her look goes. Well, I mean, even, I mean, even goes so far as the lip sync, which we'll get to is like the way I see it. They did as much as they could to show otherwise. First of all, I thought it was a, a fairly mediocre lip sync, but still from what I'm, I would agree from what I'm seeing, I, I think Tamisha won the lip sync. If you're really fairly judging that lip sync. Tamisha's lip sync to me was, and I am saying this as a, as a compliment when I say is something you would have seen, something I would have seen in 1993 at a gay bar. It was old school drag excellence. Mm -hmm. And it was very much that where, where, where you, you can exude the, uh, the song without, needing to do all of the gymnastics and things like that, where she was just kind of presenting the song. Um, however, I will say there were times that it looks like she didn't know the words where yeah, she was but, just but, kind of mouthing things. Yeah. But I also think that I don't think Candy knew the words, but she would do the thing where she'd turn her back. Yeah. And Candy to me, if anything, Tamisha's lip sync seemed, um, I, I, I don't mind talking about this now because I often feel one of the weaknesses of this show is me, but also I feel one of the weaknesses of this show is that by the time we get to the lip sync, we just kind of gloss over it. So I don't mind talking yeah. about it right now, but, um, is it seems to me like, uh, Tamisha's take, take away old school drag, take away new drag, anything like that. Tamisha's seemed very studied and controlled and Candy's mm-hmm. seemed, Desperate and manic and almost like a junior high kid in their room by themselves who would in 19, in, in, you know, 1996 lip syncing to Blue Cantrell, you know, but, yeah. um, it didn't see, it didn't seem struck, not, not that lip syncs have structure, but like at least when people, uh, no, I would, I think lip syncs, I think that you can tell a story yes. through your movement, yes. um, over the course of a song. I, you know, an example that just came to mind when you said that was Evie Oddly at the finale. Yeah, when she when she did Edge of Glory, whereas you had Brooklyn flipping around and doing all the ballerina moves, mm-hmm. Evie told a story through her face and through her movement that was very nuanced and very structured, and I think that's why she won that lip sync and ultimately won the title. Yeah, so uh, I think that I don't know. I so I think I think you know obviously for story reasons, if if were they to get rid of Candy Muse from a story perspective. There'd be, there'd be no story to produce in the show. Everyone pretty much loved Tamisha and it would diffuse the mean girls. It, it would essentially, Candy is the center of the mean girls click. So were Candy to leave, it, that click would fall apart. And so, uh, like Tina would probably just team up with the other New York girls and, um, like Rose. And, uh, and then Gottmik would just go in with the look girls or whatever. So I think that from a story perspective, they needed to keep candy. And- well, I think it, it reminded me what they're doing with the three of them is in some ways very Relaska talks. Mm-hmm. Like they're setting themselves. I, I feel like those three girls are almost looking at themselves as the new Relaska talks and they went far. So it makes sense because season five is such a seminal season mm-hmm. that they want, like what you're saying, they want to keep that storyline going as but long as possible. What's, what's funny is though, if you look at two of the clicks in the past, once again, I don't know why these girls, you know, if you, if, 
that whole history, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it kind of thing. I don't think there's anybody involved with the two most famous cliques being the Heathers and the and Rulaska Talks. I believe all of the participants in that regret that, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Well, I don't know how Detox and Roxy feel about it, but but Alaska seems to regret it. And I think Raja sort of regrets the Heathers sort of thing in season three. So why... Why would they think, and, and not only that, Heathers and, um, and Rolaska Talks don't have the word Mean Girls in it. Why would you adopt the name Mean Girls? Even if you're doing it, like, that's what people think, and so we're, we're owning it, and, and, uh, but why would you, why would you adopt that? Well, it's just because I think that, you know, just like I, when we did the season five, I had a perception in my head, of th- of things, particularly the Jinx versus Roxy relationship, that looking back at it a second time when we when we talked about it when we did our season five review, that I'm like, oh, I wasn't able to see that, you know, I wasn't able to see that then because I was uh, too busy feeling things. Mm-hmm. That they these girls may be just remembering the good parts of being part of the Heather's or being part of the of Alaska talks and not remembering the fact that Alaska towards the end distanced herself from the other two mm-hmm. and. You know, how that did create issues in the workroom for the season three girls and, and that sort of thing. I don't know that, I mean, you're saying that Raja wasn't necessarily, you know, regrets being part of the Heathers, but I don't know that that's necessarily true for Delta and Manila and, uh, Carmen. I, I don't know that they've ever really come out and said, I regret being a part of that. Well, it, it is even trickier with the Heathers because I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, Heather, the Heathers versus Booker's thing wasn't a big thing in the in the show. It was an untucked thing, wasn't it? Uh I've I don't know that I've ever seen any of the untucked for season three. So and I only know it from the show. Okay. Uh someone will have to revisit that season and recap it to find out. So Yeah, uh, gee, I, I went through. Yeah. Well, there's a Wonder Woman doll right here. That tells me. <laughs> so <laughs> So anyway, um, yeah, but I think it's a weird, it's a weird thing. There are so many issues to talk about here. In fact, we can get into some of them right now, actually. Let's talk about after Joey's elimination, Candy and Tamisha continue their argument from Untucked while the rest of the girls would prefer to put it all behind them. I, I we could have covered more beats here, but I think I'm ready to put, uh, the argument behind them. Uh, do you have anything to say about, what happened in that first act taylor i guess just the one thing that really stuck out was again we're seeing where if tamisha is trying to present herself in a way that is structured and respectable and with some sort of grace the fact that every time she would start to talk candy would just talk over okay you know whereas candy it kind of goes back to that immaturity of candy of where she can't allow you know utica says it candy can dish it but she can't take it mm-hmm. and this was an example of that because there was a chance and you almost kind of saw it with some of the shots of tina mm-hmm. listening to tamisha when she was saying things like in the beginning she was very much of what looked like she was agreeing with candy but then towards the end of that segment of it she was more it looked almost like she was agreeing more with tamisha what tamisha was saying so candy kept having to talk over her so that no one would she she would have more uh people on her side mm-hmm. in her mind at least mm-hmm. 
but it was it, it was sort of exhausting after last week's Untucked when I saw that this was going to be a part of this week. It was a little like, oh, bully. I don't I don't want this to be the whole episode. Well, yeah, luckily they just confined it to that first act. But, you know, uh, I will say I don't know what it was, but watching the first act and maybe they did a job. They did this as, a, as on purpose, but um not that I went completely to candy side, but it seemed a little more nuanced where even I was like, OK, just Tamisha, just stop. You know, like, not in like, you're wrong, but more like, you're just not, you're not going to convince Candy of anything. You're not going to win your side. But now, again, in that moment, I don't think you realize how you're going to be presented and, and you need to get your story, you need to get your point out there. I mean, look, they did roll the tape and Tamisha was wrong. You know, she did come and come in there and say, and I wish Tamisha would have just said, look, I was in my feelings. This is how I was feeling. You know, because the truth of the matter is, is, and and people who are like this, like Candy, tend to do this, which is they focus on like the very specifics. They focus all of a sudden they become, you know, they parse language because that's how they can mm-hmm. focus their argument. They can't focus on big picture because if they focus on big picture, they're wrong. So they focus right. on like, well, you said this very specific thing, and then. Uh, you know, Tamisha says, no, I didn't. And then that means that Tamisha's wrong because she, because, so their thing was, you came in there and you said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and then Tamisha says, no, I didn't. Now, Tamisha probably just didn't remember she said it that way. And then I roll the tape. Right. At the end of the day, who the fuck cares who said what and when? Right. The point is, you are, you are a bully. You are, an aggressor you are loud you know you're all these things and by the way i'm gonna say this you can be that because then she says well i'm this and i'm a sister you can be both you know taylor yeah like candy's the kind of person that would lord a gift over you if she didn't think that you <laughs> reacted well enough i was i was i was waiting for my chance to kind of bring up a joke related to that yeah so yeah, become very focused on not exactly the thank you, mm-hmm. the words thank you, but how your interpretation of the words thank you are said when you give someone a gift. Yeah. And then twisting that around in your brain to think that the person like immediately as soon as they hung up the phone from you took a shit on, for example, a poster that was given or a sweatshirt that was given that was a limited edition. But in fact, the person was in fact very grateful for it. And their interpretation of the gratitude did not necessarily match with the, with the interpretation of the gift giver. Yes. I, I, I think I understand what you're saying there. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you go to patreon.com slash afterthought media. <laughs> And listen to Just Between Us Girls, you'll know exactly what Taylor is talking about. So, um, Taylor gave me a sweatshirt and a poster. <laughs> and he didn't think I was thankful enough. So, That's exactly what happened. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but what, one of the things I want to comment on is something that happened since our episode aired. Is that mm-hmm. after the fight, Candy got a lot of hate on social media. A lot of hate. Yeah. To the point where, full disclosure, I don't know if I totally believe this, but let's just take Candy Muse at her word, right? Mm -hmm. It seemed very false flag to me, but okay, right? Let's take Candy Muse at her word that uh, these drag race haters found her mom and started saying her mom threatening messages, okay? Right. And... um. 
that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Why would you send hate via Instagram to anybody? Now, some might say, like, Joe, do you listen to your own show? You have a I Hate Candy Muse theme song. <laughs> yeah, but Candy can choose to listen to this. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not, re- I'm not emailing this show to Candy Muse. And this is a show where we, you know, review the show. And, right. And also, Candy is knowingly on a show where she knows she might get reviewed. I don't... I've never wished death on Candy Muse. But uh, but anyway, but the one thing that I want to pull out, which... Have I wished death on Candy Muse? No. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking back, of like, has he wished death on Candy no. no, but no, he has never wished death on Candy Muse. But I don't think we've wished death on any queen ever no, on this show. No, 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 no. Wish death drops. I wish they would do a death drop. <laughs> but I've never... <laughs> I've never uh, wished death. But anyway, but what I want to point out is this. The, the the official Drag Race Instagram account posted something where it was like, you should never do anything but love these queens. And I don't know what this bullshit was. If someone could uh-huh. post it in the Discord, maybe I'll read it or Taylor will read it. And I thought to myself, oh, that's rich. Right? Yeah. Because they, A, that show engineers this drama. Okay. Agreed. B, at any point producers, because that, that, that fight of most of all, maybe almost as much as the season two, uh, Morgan and, um, Mystique Summers Madison. Mystique. Mystique fight almost came to fisticuffs. At any point, a producer could have gone in there and stopped it. Three, they also could have not shown it. You know? Uh-huh. No, I agree it was great television. But they're constantly doing things where they foster it, film it, and put it out there. Release it. And release yeah. it. You know? And actually keep Candy on the show because they love that she does that. So to right. put out this thing like... Oh, don't hate the queens. You're insane. You fostered this. You're a crazy person. Yeah. I was surprised how many Rue girls from almost all the past seasons came to Candy's defense. And by that, I mean said, you know, talking, saying some of the cruel things you're saying to her is not okay. And just, you know, that to me has more validity Mm -hmm. than something that comes from world of wonder. You're absolutely right there. You know, if I see, if I see something from like on a Twitter or Instagram of somebody saying, you know, while we don't always agree with things that the girls say, we all are a family and we all support each other because we've all been there. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that I do know that Candy said this week on Twitter, she posted something like, for those of you applying for season 14, know this, make sure your mental health is in check and and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought that that was, you know, good, bad or otherwise. I am not a Candy Muse fan, but I thought that, you know, I did feel slightly bad for it just because how bad people were coming for it, including us. I mean, I, you know, ultimately this is what we do. We review the show and, and no one is to the best of my knowledge, emailed candy and said, like you said, you know, Hey, listen to the show. They talk about you. Mm-hmm. But I think to attack somebody directly like that, it makes no sense. It's kind of like the people who, you know, if the president, if president Biden posts a tweet People that talk shit to the like, what is it? What do you think that's doing? 
Like, do you think that he's really going to go, oh, well, I should completely change my policy because, you know, Monster Dong 420 thinks that, you know, not everybody should get a stimulus shot. Like, come on, just mm-hmm. just enjoy the show. Recognize what's going on. And and it, again, it's a show about drag queens. Mm-hmm. It's not life changing. It's well, a, it's entertainment. Allow it to entertain you mm-hmm. or move past it. One of the Find difficult things, yeah, one of the thing, difficult things about this show and to recap this show is is to really uh separate the reality from the quote unquote manufactured reality. And uh like for instance, and it's something that I know internally, but maybe I should be better about even though I'm not apologizing for anything we did, but to, should explain it that like when I'm saying these horrible things about Candy Muse and the person that we're seeing on TV definitely deserves to have horrible things said about her, right? Mm-hmm. I internally Character know, Candy Muse deserves to have horrible yeah, things said about I in, her. I internally know that that's manufactured. The problem is a lot of people think it's reality. And it, to me, it's a Quinn. It's a Quinn. It's akin to, like, if we were doing a Game of Thrones recap, I would probably... Like, say, do the same rant about Joffrey, you know, King Joffrey. Yeah. You yes. know, when Joffrey died, spoiler alert, I, uh, I jumped out of my seat and cheered. Now, what's funny is the actor Jack Gleason, who played him, is nothing like Joffrey, right? Right. And, um, now, now obviously Candy Muse is playing herself, but what you guys have to understand is, and I've talked about this on the show, is my boyfriend has coined the term, show batants right mm-hmm. and there is a difference between the person you're hearing right now and who i am in real life and i think even taylor would say that right i think in real life mm-hmm. not that they're completely different people it's just this is a much more on version of who i am you yeah know? uh and I agree with that yeah and so with candy it's the same thing and also to you have to understand something these girls are filmed, and this is true for all of them, Candy, and actually, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about this, I didn't relate this, I'm going to go on a rant about Gottmik, which is the opposite, you know, of the Candy thing, where I believe she is being deified, not that she's doing anything wrong, but that the editors completely manipulate what you do and don't see, and that's what even makes what World of Wonder wrote more egregious, is we they are completely controlling the version of the character that we're seeing, you know, and that mm-hmm. there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours that we're not seeing of the girls, and what we're seeing are selected, curated moments from those hours, and that they right. can manipulate that any way they want, you know. I don't like the character of Candy Muse. Also, she was really boring in that one show I went to go see her in, right? <laughs> but uh on the flip side, and we'll get to it when it's appropriate, I feel, and I think that this is just equally as much of a disservice, that the show is um uh putting Got Makeup as a saint almost as a token, and I think that does her a disservice as well. Yeah. And um and they're they're editing out these episodes particularly, uh, but uh, they're doing just as much of a disservice to can to 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 to, to Gottmik 
by, and, and this episode in particular, uh, exemplifies it where if you watch closely, you're like, and we'll get to this in detail. Uh, Gottmik made some mistakes that they never showed, you know, but you have to mm. watch closely, uh, for this. Uh, anyway, well, apart from this, uh, very, we didn't even, but the, after Joey's elimination, do you have anything else to say there, uh, Taylor? Uh, as far as the, did we, did you talk about the mini challenge? Was that part We're of what you We're getting to it next. Okay. Okay. All right. The next day, RuPaul enters the workroom to announce this week's mini challenge. The queens working in pairs have 30 minutes to create dresses out of wallpaper. Uh, the teams were as followed. You had Elliot and Tamisha Iman, Tina Burner and Candy Muse, Simone and Alari, Rose and, Rose and Denali, Olivia Lux and Utica, Candy and Tina plus Got Mick got to choose as a winner of last week's episode. She got to choose what t- team she joined. And of course, she joined Candy and Tina. Uh, Elliot and Tamisha Iman were named the winners of the challenge. Uh, next, RuPaul announced this week's Maxi Challenge. The same pairs will create a disco dancing documentary. Each time, team is assigned a different chapter in disco history. We'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, Taylor, any thoughts on the mini challenge? I like the mini challenge. Yeah. I thought the mini, cha- I like when they do mini challenges like this that involve creativity, that involve taking something from nothing. Um, that makes sense. I mean, you know, uh, you have great ones like this one and the doll where little pound cake showed up. Yeah. Um, that you have the stupid ones where they take a pancake and they have to decorate a pancake. Yeah. But I thought that this one was where you really had to take where everybody it's, I'm assuming had the same amount of material, mm-hmm. the same amount of time, and they had to come together to create an outfit that stood out against wallpaper of the same pattern. I don't know anybody who would want that wallpaper in their house. But it was it was fun. I mean, watching the creativity to varying degrees was amazing. And I think of all of the outfits, Fitz, Elliot, and Tamisha's was the best. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I was impressed with most, if not all, of the outfits that they did that in 30 minutes. That yeah. Was, that was amazing. Um, also, um, a Carol Baskin reference, by, which by now is so dated – you know, but you figure when this was when this was filmed, oh, yeah. that was right in the middle of all of that. Yeah. Well, what's really funny too is Tamisha comments on it, and they and they cut away, and I feel it was some sort of a VR. I mean, oh VR. I feel it was some sort of ADR where she says that she kidnapped her husband, and I feel that the producers mm-hmm. either manipulated to say that, or they had her tape it again or say it again because they didn't want a lawsuit. Because yeah. no one's ever accused Carol Baskin of kidnapping the husband. <laughs> right. Right. If by yeah. kidnapping and then, and then they, they, they quickly made sure to add the allegedly, yeah. you know, in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, was... But also before, remember when RuPaul walked in and I, and I thought of you, thank God RuPaul addressed this. When she came in there and did her Charles Nelson Riley impression and all the people mm-hmm. were guffawing, by the way. Right. I, I wrote down in my note, there's no way any of these fucking bitches know who Charles Nelson Riley is, right? Except for Which maybe Tamisha. So sad. I'm surprised Tamisha didn't, but, um, uh, do you want to explain to the children who Charles Nelson Riley was? Charles Nelson Riley was a, I guess he was a comedian slash character actor who yeah. appeared in a lot of things in the seventies. Um, and was particularly, he was a mainstay on Match Game. Yeah. Which that surprised me if they all are supposed to know what Snatch Game is that, that they didn't know what he was. And he was often known for his ascots. 
I was just I, I was just talking to After Buzz TV's Jay Ellis this week about something, and he didn't know Match Game. He thought they invented Snatch Game. He didn't know it was based <gasps> on the Match Game. Well, that okay. Well, then I am teaching the children that Snatch Game is based on a game called Match Game, which was on in the seventies and early eighties. It was a daytime game show. And Charles Nelson Riley was one of the – he was always in the top top right corner. It was contestants similar to Snatch Game. and But the difference is they would often film multiple episodes in the same day, and they were all allowed to drink <laughs> while yeah. they were – so if you watch episodes, like if you watch over the course of the week, the, the um, panel seems to usually get – more filthy <laughs> and more like slurring their words and stuff by the end of the, the end of the, like every fifth episode. Um, Betty White was on there a lot. Uh, who was the one that always sat next to Charles Nelson Riley? Uh, well, then they had like uh, Richard Dawson was all, he was a mainstay of Richard. Richard Dawson. And then Richard Dawson, like he wanted to leave to go be on family feud and they wouldn't let him out of his contract. So he refused to talk. So for like a lot of the later seasons that he's on, he never says anything. He just holds up the card. Um, there was a lot of Burt Convy was another one that was on there a lot. There was a lot of those, but Charles Nelson Riley in particular was of a group of actors that were assumed to be homosexual. It was like, <laughs> but it there was, was never it really came out. It was like, like Paul Lynn, wink, yeah, Paul Lynn, Charles Nelson Riley. There was a wink, wink aspect to it. Um, yeah, Rip Taylor, you know, like <laughs> you know, and there were these guys who they were super gay. You knew yeah. they were gay. Your parents, your grandparents all knew they were gay, but they just didn't say it. Right, right. There was a, there was enough tongue-in-cheek where they would sometimes say things where they would go right to the edge of making, like, a cocksucking joke, but then would, like, pull it back sort yeah. of thing. You know, but then, then talk about, you know, their girlfriend at home or something, like, ridiculous, like, even though everybody – knew what was going on but and and the outfit that yeah and the outfit rupaul was wearing was very something that charles nelson riley would have worn on the match game yes yes like a color and that's charles nelson riley yeah with like a a nascar and he did and he's like oh you know like yeah yeah sometimes he'd wear a captain's hat and a pipe a pipe yeah (laughs) for like no reason yeah you know yeah they were those kind of people were ridiculous um so, if game show, if you have game show network, mm-hmm. I mean, they used to show all the old match games, yeah, uh, and they would show them at like prom, at prime time because they are they hold a lot of them really really hold up. And Brett Summers, thank you. So somebody said just said Brett Summers in the in the uh, J- Jordan Darling just said Brett Summers, mm-hmm. um, and she was like the original fag hag. <laughs> Kind of where they were constantly, they would bicker, but then they were, you could tell they were the best of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can find match game any place, it might, they might even have old episodes on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Watch a couple because they, they are what Snatch Game strives to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Alec, I don't know if they're still showing it, but Alec Baldwin was hosting a new version of the match game. Which oh that's right I forgot about that which is so funny because then RuPaul's are like mm, well I wonder where they got that idea I'm all when they invented it in the 70s and they <laughs> own it you know I remember yeah. there is this folk artist who uh, did a cover he's actually well not a folk artist he's like one of those like hipster art indie artists and he did a cover mm-hmm. of Baby Got Back I can af- 
kind of singer-songwriter style. And somebody did something and he wanted like a copyright credit or something like that. And I was like, no, you covered the song. You don't get any right. sort of like credit or anything like that just because you cover the song sorry oh because somebody else did a version like his and he's like oh oh, oh, because they did a version like his on glee and he went on social media and was super pissed that they didn't give him credit i'm like no sorry fucker you covered someone else's song you don't get that yeah sir mix a lot probably got some money for that because he wanted to sir mix a lot got the money but why would you get even like a mention yeah, go fuck yourself. You just did a cover. That would be like me going like that would be me as if if RuPaul did something and did like um uh, name two things like about the episode and one thing you didn't on her podcast and being like <laughs> I mean like excuse me RuPaul I want some credit <laughs> but no it's my show you know right so um anyway uh all right now let's actually talk about the teams for the maxi challenge. Uh, Tina Candy and Got Mick were a team, and they were doing the birth of disco. The birth of disco. Elliot and Tanisha right. had disco and sex. Olivia Lux and Utica had Studio 54. Denali and Rose had disco fashion, while Lala, Rhea, and Simone had disco sucks. Uh, next, RuPaul entered the workroom to talk to the, the queens. Denali and Rose chose each other because of their backgrounds in dance and choreography. Ru teaches Lala and Simone about the Disco Sucks movement and later comments on the racial and social imp- uh, implications of the disco era. Later, Candy worries about her team's dancing ability. Any thoughts on the table visits, Taylor? I thought the table visits, that was a really great opportunity for Ru, and I'm glad she took it, to really sort of teach the children about how disco is so important to the LGBT movement, to what we know is music today. A lot of music that you wouldn't necessarily consider to be disco now has its roots in music from the 70s and 70s and early 80s. Um, I was aware of the Disco Sucks movement. Um, and I was very sad when the Queens could not name three disco songs. I like that she's done that a couple of times with them where she says, tell me where she said last week, tell me your favorite share songs. Mm-hmm. And this week she said, tell me your favorite disco songs. And the fact that the girls couldn't do it really kind of bothered Name three of your bit. favorite disco songs. Three of my favorite disco songs are last dance by Donna summer. Uh, I love take me home by share and another of my favorite songs is oh god what's the name of that song um it's a bgs from saturday night fever uh i'll just say staying alive because i don't remember the name of the night fever night fever is the one that i like from saturday saturday night fever okay how about you three three disco songs last dance by donna summer take me home by Cher, and night fever by the bgs anyway uh do you not like disco music? I do actually really do. There is um Oh, oh, No More Tears by Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand. Okay. I that that's funny you mentioned that because somebody that listens to my other show posted on Facebook the song that was the number one song for your on the on your seventh birthday is the title is how ha- is the title for your year for 2021, and that was apparently the number one song on my seventh birthday. Enough is enough. Oh, so I thought that was very funny considering last year and that this is this is that. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go um, ahead. It's just so enough funny because my seventh birthday number one song was Party in the USA. But um, – <laughs> But uh, okay. That one. So um, the um, Heaven Knows with Donna Summer and um, 
That's a great song. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I know I haven't heard the Teddy Pendergrass version, but Don't Leave Me This Way is pretty fucking great. Don't Leave Me This Way isn't it. Yeah. Oh. When they said that Teddy Pendergrass was the original version, I was sort of like, I will have to check. I feel like I've heard that before, but I'm so focused on the Tommy Houston version. Mm-hmm. But I will have to try. I will have to try that one. Yeah. I, you know, uh, and by the way, I don't know if people know this. In uh, 2011, all right, and this actually relates to this. In 2011, lesbians around the world got together and voted for the official anthem <laughs> of lesbians everywhere. And uh, so we know that all lesbians agree that this song right here, it's, uh, by Alicia Bridges, uh, is the greatest disco song, at least to lesbians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Lori Rockingcamp and I often talk about this on our other shows on Patreon. But um, what do you think of this song, Taylor? This, this isn't one of my favorite disco songs, but I'm a gay man. This song reminds me of uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, because it's on the soundtrack. So anytime I hear this, I think of that movie, which that's a great soundtrack that has music from all different genres. But there's a couple of disco songs on there. And that, that always reminds me of that. And now... What were you saying? And it also reminds me now. Whenever I hear it, I think of I think of you and Lori. Why? So, and Lori Lori needing to finish up whatever you're recording because she has to get out and get her boogie on at the at the lesbian bar. Oh yeah, that's Lori's lesbian behind the Walgreens on Sunset that she has to go that the, the makeshift one that they bring up as soon as that music starts. Lesbians from all over yeah. California flock together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just scissor in the Walgreens parking lot to that song. Carpeteria is what it's called. And- <laughs> I snorted. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Any other thoughts, Taylor, on uh, the table visits? No, I think I think that just the fact that it was used to talk about the disco movement and how important disco is to modern dance music and the drag scene and everything. Now, I mean, it really is, it is a building block to LGBT history. Mm -hmm. Um, and just what the seventies were like for so many, for so many adults. You said this earlier, but I was surprised that the girls couldn't name three disco songs. I don't, I don't know. Even if you don't know the artist, I wouldn't have gone with the artist. Like I would have been like, I will survive, you know, don't leave me this way. And, uh, you know, disco duck or something. I don't know, but um, but I was surprised they couldn't do it. Yeah, and then and then the candy couldn't differentiate between differentiate between Diana Ross and Donna Summer was, and then the, what she said because one has big hair and one is dead. I was sort of like, oh, that's, <laughs> I know, that's, that's really awkward. trying to build your fan base back up. You don't just refer to Donna Summer as like, oh, she's the dead one. That's not yeah. that, that's not good. All right, Taylor. Well, on that note, why don't we take a break and when we come back. Uh, we will discuss the rest of the show. Okay. Yeah! 
right, Taylor. <laughs> I love that everybody in the Discord all wrote yeah all at the same time. <laughs> really? Let yep. me look. Let I me look. Oh. Four yeahs. Okay. Uh, all right. For the Maxi Challenge choreography rehearsal, the girls meet with choreographer Miguel Zarate. Candy, Gottmik, and Tina have difficulties keeping up with the routine. Lala and Simone learn the difference between a hip and a dip. Elliot and Tamisha work with hula hoops. Rosé and Denali effortlessly pick up their complicated dance routines. Meanwhile, Utica and Olivia twirl fabric for their number. Taylor, any thoughts on the choreography segment? Well, I think that we have the the low bar of Todrick Hall, and who who can who can rise above the low bar there. And I think that Miguel Miguel, right? That's yeah. his, that's his name. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that I thought that he was really good with with most of the girls. He only had one kind of bitchy comment to make, I think, towards Utica. Um, but otherwise, I thought that he was he was good. I agree with you, but I'll tell you the difference. You know, there's a difference. Which is, okay. he was being playfully shady, and there was that twinkle in his eye that you knew it was all in fun. Where Todrick gives you that death stare. You know? Yeah. Where, like, my eye is on you, and this could really count. Where Miguel was playful. You could tell he was being funny, and, and I don't mind that. It's the sort of, like, uh, like, uh, like, I'm your boss kind of feel that Todrick has. I hate Todrick Hall. Yeah. I hate him so I much. Know. I saw this thing on like the blogs, the gay blogs or whatever, and it was like, oh, look at Todrick Hall's beautiful, like he spent like twenty five thousand dollars or some crazy amount of money on like a famous designer designed his like bed frame. And mm-hmm. I was like, go fuck yourself. Like God God I fucking you know what? He's spending all this money on his bed frame or whatever. Why don't you go pay the At fucking this hamburger people? Mary's? Yeah. Todrick Hall is spending all his money. This hamburger Mary's. Yeah. Uh, don't you allegedly you're not paying people? It's been alleged online. Yeah. Maybe you could use your money to the ten thousand, twenty five thousand dollars you spent on this thing to maybe pay some of the people that work for you. If that's true, Todrick Hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, any other thoughts on the choreography? <laughs> No, I j- just that I definitely when I see they have a choreographer, I, I'm very I'm always concerned that we're going to have a, a Todrick Jr. And I didn't feel like that's what this guy was. I thought that he was like the, the the scene with Lala and Simone. I believe that's who it was with the the hips where he was trying to teach them all or trying mm-hmm. to teach Simone how to you know use her hips or use her dick instead of using her hip. I thought was a, was a cute. It was a fun. We're willing, like you said, we're willing to play a little bit. It wasn't that whole, well, girl, you better figure that out or you're going home that we normally would get from Todrick. Now, let me, maybe let me ask you, for some reason, I feel you would know this. We did learn in this segment that Tamisha quietly uh, has an ostomy bag. But what, I've only known of colostomy bags. What's an ostomy bag versus a colostomy bag? I think. I don't necessarily know. I think that she was just calling it an ostomy. I think it is a colostomy bag, but I, I'm not sure about the different types of colostomy bags. Any of those that I had to deal with in when I was working for hospice was always a colostomy bag. So okay. I think that that might have just been the way that she was saying it. I could look and see mm-hmm. if there are different types of colostomy bags or different types of ostomy bags. Yeah, why well, for people who don't know, uh, I don't know why you would need a col- why do you need a colostomy bag? I mean, I know, I know it's basically where your poop goes, right? But instead of going out your butt, yes. it goes into this bag. 
Yeah, because I and because I believe she said she had. Didn't she say she had colon cancer? Oh yeah, she did. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. So I mean, that makes sense. <clears throat> that that would be. Uh, there is the three types of ostomy bags: are colostomy bag, ileostomy bag, and urostomy bag. Um, so if her if her colon, you know, is still in the process of healing, then they would redirect any poop, any waste that she had to go out and empty out into this bag versus emptying out the 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 natural way to allow things to heal up the way that it need, oh, needs I to see. be. Sometimes, unfortunately, that is permanent, but there are times where you can have a colostomy bag temporarily with the intent of being able to redirect things back to where it goes out um, out through your uh, rectum. Interesting. Yeah, and I could see how that would be very, very uh, embarrassing. Um, yes. And, and not only embarrassing, but also in a show where she's already much older than all the other queens. My, is she the oldest queen to compete? Actually, I don't even know. No, I believe that... Uh, what was the one that just stood there during the Britney Spears song? Charlie Hyde's, I think, oh, okay. is according to uh, Charlie Hyde's uh, claimed to be fifty one. I think the season that she was on, whereas Tanisha Tanisha is saying that she's forty nine. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, but to be in that older girls, that that kind of makes you seem even older, even though she's just a cancer survivor. Young people can have it too. But um, yes, I could see, I could see, and also you want to seem. You know, competitive. You want to seem competitive. I, yeah, I will say that. And again, we don't know who knew what or anything, but kind of scrolling through Twitter last night around the time that she said this on the show, Candy posted a tweet and said, girl, what? She goes, this, this me, you're even stronger than we took you for. So I'm assuming that maybe she hadn't said anything to the girls prior to this mm-hmm. or Candy was trying to say, I don't know, but I, I definitely took notice of that when she, when she talked about that um, on the show. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to go, to go back to something we were saying earlier and, and you just addressed this guys, once again, we don't know what happens off camera or after the show, they could have totally made up, you know, sometimes, you know, you get in a fight like, for instance, let's say someone taped a fight I had with Aiden. That doesn't mean we're always fighting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, um, it's just, whatever. But, <laughs> but by the way, that does not change this. I hate candy. I hate candy. Uh, all right, it's Elimination Day, and the queens get ready for the runway. Candy, Tina, Got, Mick coin themselves the Mean Girls. Olivia tells her story of playing the piccolo marching band and reveals that she used to be overweight. Candy discusses her battle with her inner demons. Tamisha reveals that she grew up in the project and the importance of an older person who saw her potential. A lot going on in this Elimination Day, Taylor. And uh, let, let's let's break it down one by one. Let's talk about Candy, Tina, and Got, Mick and their... Their self-christening, taking ownership of the name or label of the Mean Girls. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think particularly, you know, we've seen Tina and Candy sort of lean into that and using that as a intimidation tactic. So if 
they figure they can use that to their benefit. It doesn't surprise me that they're going to use that. I don't get Gottmik as part of that. Gottmik kind of reminds me of at least at this stage in the game of that grouping as the, you know, in the old Looney Tunes cartoon where there was the big bulldog and there was the little dog behind or there was the yes, bike, yes, bike, whatever you say. But yeah. I kind of get that from Gottmik right now. Yeah. Um, but if it's where she feels like, you know, she can be part of with the cool kids yeah. and Tina and Candy see themselves as the cool kids. Yeah. Then she, it makes sense that she's going to hitch her wagon to them. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree. I, but again, I don't know what we're seeing, but, 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 but we've seen no yeah. evidence or heard anything that got Mick was a shady bitch. I just think, you know, we talked about this last week, you know, um, uh, I, I don't know what's in got Mick's, uh, history and nor do I want to, uh, speculate, but I've seen it before in other people that often people who are come from, families with maybe kind of like abusive relationships with their parents will often seek like just almost kind of like a woman who has like an like a, an overbearing father marry someone like her father you know mm-hmm. um so it's she's just repeating patterns that she learned elsewhere uh, i'm not saying that she did well, but like it could be that <laughs> she, she's just used to that sort of environment and so it's comfortable to her well, but and it's funny because even though I said to you, don't bother watching Untucked, Gottmik had got a video message from her parents last night, and she talked about how important it was that they referred to her as her chosen name um, and gave her support and talked about how despite everything, how difficult it was for her transition, they were always very supportive. And um, and in that regard, I, you talked about that a little bit last week as far as thinking that Gottmik's reaction to Candy and Tamisha related to something in her past. It doesn't seem like that came from her parenting, at least. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been other issues that maybe kind of brought that up for her. But but that was you talking about that. I, I know that I told you don't bother watching Untucked, but that did happen last night. And she seemed genuinely there. It wasn't like in season five when Alyssa got the video from her father and she immediately was like hysterical crying. Like Gottmik was like super excited to get the message and was just like, that's so amazing. And was so excited to hear them call Gottmik by Gottmik's boy name, Cade. On the flip side though, on the flip side, and you're right. I don't know. And I don't know anything about this Gottmik. I know nothing. Right. But on the flip side, I have a couple of friends who are the sweetest, nicest people you'll ever meet. Sweetest. Oh, thank you. Sweetest, nicest people you'll ever meet, (laughs) right? Uh And they have some of the most awful, horrible friends. The worst friends. The dregs of just terrible people. Uh-huh. And I used to often wonder why they had these friends because they're such wonderful people. And what I realized was they were so nice that they were able to look past them and that they were the only ones that would take them. So these mean people glommed onto them because they didn't have a lot of people who liked them. And this person was nice enough to just, they just saw, it could be that too. You yeah, know, I have friends who like literally the nice people, and they have the worst friends, the the most horrible, horrible human being of friends. So it, it might not be, always be a parental thing. There is something going on there because from what we're seeing, it doesn't seem it. It seems like Gottmik would be hanging out with like, Olivia Lux, yeah, and not um, Tina and uh, and Candy. 
Uh, okay, now going on, Olivia tells her story, speaking of, of playing the piccolo in the marching band and that she used to be fat. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, Taylor? I think that I was glad to see them talk about this in that this is another way of um, people who are struggling with feelings of low self-esteem engaging in some sort of self-soothing behavior. And for some people it's drugs or alcohol and other people it's, you know, sex. It's, but you know, for a lot of us, it's food and um, her being so kind of open about talking about that and some of the bullying that she received and everything. And then to find a new outlet for self-care in drag and theater, I thought was, I thought was a great way to kind of talk about finding, finding your tribe for lack of a better word and yeah. finding those group of people who love you and support you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I had mentioned last week that anytime that we have seen Olivia right up to right up to recently, uh, she always seemed very petite to me. And then I mentioned last week that in some of the ball looks that she looked kind of, and I, I like, you know, she, she looked bigger than I expected her to not heavy in any way, but she was like wider. So now it makes more sense. You know, even if she is somebody who's lost a ton of weight and I don't know what Olivia weighs and it's none of my business what Olivia weighs, but that you, you still kind of have that bigness to you, even when you're smaller, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I thought that it was, it, it was, it was another aspect to her story that I think is continue why people are continuing to really fall in love with olivia uh she talks about a moment when she went to an amusement park and she couldn't get on the ride Uh and i immediately thought of the question taylor have you ever been to an amusement park and you couldn't get on the ride close to it but no um rodan my co-host on pot is my co-pilot had a situation where he couldn't get on no that's not true i there was a time where we went (laughs) we went to las vegas and they have that roller coaster at new york new york and taffy and i um and uh oh god the listener you're friends with Nico, the friends that were, they were friends with Nico all went to get on the roller coaster and he didn't necessarily want to go on it, but he was hanging out with us and we wanted the front seat because we were Taffy and, you know, Taffy and I, and they couldn't get the bar closed on either one of us. So we had to do the walk of shame past everybody, including Nico, who was already like locked into his, and he kind of had this look on his face like, well, you guys are leaving. We're like, yeah, the thing won't fit, but it was, it was embarrassing to walk past. I had another time at Universal where uh, the the joke I made was the 16 year old had to jump up and down on my chest to get the bar closed for the Hulk uh-huh. roller coaster, and I couldn't breathe, and it was ve- that was very scary because even though that roller coaster is only you know 75 seconds long, I had to take these little tiny short breaths while air is being blown in my face, and I, that was the closest I've ever come to like hyperventilating. Oh my god! So it was it was scary, but. I don't have any issue with that anymore, but I mean, there are times that I think that there is still that where I'm more like that with things like um, booths at restaurants back when people went to restaurants, but I immediately would like, if if they're, if we're being taken to a booth, I immediately do that scoping it out. Like, am I going to be able to fit into this? Is this going to be an issue? And, and, you know, especially if I'm with Taffy, because Taffy's a, a, a larger gal, so I have to do that. I have to do that mathematical equation in my head of, are we both going to be able to fit into this? Is this something where we have to kind of tilt the table a little bit once we get in, taking turns, that sort of thing? And it's, it is anxiety inducing. Yeah, no, it is. I think, I think I heard. 
Um, no, the closest <laughs> the closest I ever had was when I went with my little friend Jonathan to uh, Disney Cali- Disney's California Adventure, and it was actually this like kitty roller coaster, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we got on it, and you were on a date. We were on a date. They knew I was on a date. And we made sure he was tall enough. And then um, <laughs> we get on the ride, and it has a big dip. So I had this bar, and we sat next to each other. And the bar didn't go down the like. It was just like one of the like the like haunted mansion, like yeah. One of those ghosts, but it didn't go down far enough for like it went down for me. But Jonathan needed to put. They needed to get a big foam uh, spacer. <laughs> To put between uh-huh. the bar and Jonathan so he wouldn't fly out of the car because the bar didn't uh-huh. go down far enough. And uh, that was the closest ever. But um, that was it. Uh, okay. And then finally, Candy discusses her battle with her inner demons. Oh, no. We still have Tamisha, too. What were your thoughts about Candy talking about her inner demons with her mom and all that? I think that it explains a little yes. bit. Especially to those who didn't maybe necessarily um, completely understand where candy was coming from or the, or the peeling back the layers of, you know, when, when, you know, something that I say to clients all the time when they talk about issues with conflict with, you know, loved ones or people in their lives where I say, you know, it's not about what you're fighting about. It's about the feelings that are related to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, candy kind of revealed that, that it wasn't, you know, she said, I try very hard not to let that out anymore. Mm-hmm. The way that I used to just something triggered me. So it might be the fact that it was an older queen was coming for her, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling like that, feeling that especially somebody that everyone up till recently had been kind of looking at as maternal to have this maternal figure kind of saying things could have been where that triggered her. I, I don't know that you know, it excuses the behavior, but it helps us to understand a little bit where it comes from. I feel like there might have been some last minute editing for this episode, considering how much hate Candy got mm-hmm. um, over the for, over last weekend of where especially the thing like, you know, even when they say things in past shows like play back the tape, they don't ever play back the tape on the show. But the fact that they actually showed them playing back the tape and that they gave her this moment to kind of show mm-hmm. who she is. I can't help but wonder if that, that was something that they figured out a way to manipulate, uh, not manipulate, but to but to add that or to enhance that in the show to kind of give Candy some breathing room for from some of the hate that she's been getting. Yeah, you know, Taylor, I say this all the time on the show, and I think with all the bluster and everything like that that comes with doing a show like we do, it it gets lost or forgotten. But I like to call balls and strikes. I call things as I see it. And so when Candy went into this speech, and what I mean is that I give credit where credit is due, and I, and I try, and I really do, I try to at least, and see where I'm wrong and, and whatnot. And so I still don't think I was wrong about the character of Candy Muse that we saw last week that was deplorable behavior. But what I got to see this week was why that happened and understand it a bit more if that makes sense and uh-huh. so uh i i you know and and this is something that you know not necessarily that only people of color experience but it's it's a it's an anger that people who aren't straight cis white men who fit into the mold for whatever reason suffer through all the time and just anger builds up 
And perhaps Tamisha hit a trigger that no one knew about, you know, and that's mm-hmm. why Candy reacted the way she did. Now, you have to do the work to to control that, you know, but uh, but at least we got a sense of like, oh, so this is exactly why we saw what we did last week. Yeah. You know, and it's not necessarily because, you know, Tamisha is a person of color. It's not necessarily a race thing per se, but it is something, it is an anger that has built up because of a race issue, if that makes sense. That the gases have been built up and bottled and they release because of it, com- it compounds that. Yeah. I, I, I would, I agree and, and disagree with you all say, because I think that you can see, the way that pe- when people lash out at others, mm-hmm. so often it's related to something else or the way that somebody else made them feel. And I think that that's even true with cis white men. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about the last four years in this country, yeah. a lot of the reason that we got had to tolerate a lot of the bullshit was because of stuff going on in his life before before. Well, you're you saying know, you're saying cis straight white male. So obviously, you're talking about Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina. Yeah, well, yes, yes, clearly, clearly, Lady G. Um, but I think that's I think that's anybody. But when you have so, when you have a marginalized group, mm-hmm. whether that is a you know a person of color, whether that is uh, LGBT, mm-hmm. whether that is trans, whatever that is, well, LGBT is trans. But uh, you know, I think that it definitely exacerbates more so when you have somebody coming for you, mm-hmm. you know, as much as, as much as, you know, triggers it triggered, the word triggered is sort of overused at this point, but mm-hmm. it's, I think that this is a situation in which candy was triggered and, and just sort of, you know, we've all had those situations where we have started off trying to make a statement and then just completely lose control. Um, I've had it where I've had it in the last couple of weeks where I'm trying to, I had a really rough day a couple of weeks ago and I started to talk to my husband about it and just like word vomited all like saying things that like kind of came out of nowhere. And, and like, you know, say where eventually I'm like, I got to go for a walk. I can't, I can't be in this house anymore kind of thing. Not yelling at my husband, but like yelling to my husband. And he just kind of sat there and looked at me and, you know, whatever. But it was where things that were said to me mm-hmm. definitely triggered stuff in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to kind of hold on as long as I could until I got home and then just exploded. Well, yeah, you know, there, we talked about this. I don't know if it was on this show or a different show where we talked about a, 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 no, a well-known episode of the rumor mill where mm-hmm. former co-host George made a joke about how I'm ugly and I lost my motherfucking shit. I became Candy Muse, you know? Yeah. And, you know, because Lori calls me fat and ugly all the fucking time, and I laugh. Joey Booker called me fat and ugly all the time, and I laugh. But it was who was saying it. Because to me, George embodies those mean gays that I always mm-hmm. encounter when I was growing up. You know, or coming, becoming a little gay boy of age in West Hollywood. Because I know, I follow George on social media. I know what his lifestyle is like. And he is part of those same kinds of groups. So to me, it wasn't 
up here telling me it was a mean gay telling me that it was one of the mean right. girls so to speak telling me that and it triggered me and i lost my shit and so i don't know what candy's background is you know maybe tamisha's behavior because she's older represented a, a parent or somebody yeah. older who you who did the same thing to her in fact yeah. to, to transition to tamisha's story it shows you um, how an older person can have such an influence on you because Tamisha's mm-hmm. sort of nurturing style came from a, an older person who was kind to her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have somebody like that in your life that you can think of? Not necessarily. That's not a relative. Yeah. Not necessarily in terms of my adolescence. But definitely when I um, started doing the SAT tutoring or started my own business, there there were a lot of people. And this is one of the things that I've talked about that's difficult for me because, you know, I grew up uh, in Orange County, California, which is very Republican. And I was talking about how with my test prep business that I ran for years, some of the biggest breaks that I ever got from people were from like super Republicans who mm-hmm. literally there was, um, you know, the guy who started the Prince interview, he helped me a lot. Uh, there was this woman who was the mother of a, of a student that I taught and she really liked me. And she said, listen, uh, I have this office that we never use. Would you like to use it and tutor students there for free? She charged me no yeah. money. And uh, other things are, let me do this for you, let me do that for you, and let me help you. Which also highlights, to be honest with you, in a, a way, privilege. And it's not necessarily white privilege because I'm a person of color, but it did come with privilege because I, ha- privilege I had access to very wealthy people who could afford that, to do that. And mm-hmm. so uh, I benefited from that privilege. So it's more in that way. I never really had anyone in high school or anything take me under their wings I can think of. Okay. What about you? I had, um, I, I guess when I was in high school, when I was in high school, my first real job was uh, Spencer Gifts, where I worked in the mall as, mm-hmm. as, as and the selling lava lamps and pranks, selling lava lamps and fake dog poop and yeah. cards of the big fat old women with the big like long tits and yeah, yeah that was that was my job. And selling new kids on the block posters. I remember yeah. when they came in and that was like, you could well, keep them in. I've talked this, I've talked about this before. The can, this is prepubescent gay boy Joey, you know, would go with my grandma and she would, I would go to Spencer Gifts while she went to, I don't know, Talbot's or something. And, um, uh-huh. I would just look through that, those, that big rack of posters that you could flip through. And uh-huh. I would look through, but I would see the, the, the basically the cheesecake shots of the guys. And I'll tell uh-huh. you one in particular that I really liked. And I, but I, you know, but then if someone came, then I'd go to like the Michael Jordan poster or something like that. Right. Right. But I right. remember the one I just loved was Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. It was just him <laughs> standing against the wall, this uh, dick bulge in his jeans. And I was just like, just stare at that poster. I wanted it so badly. And the poster. We had, we had one of those TVs that had the VCR in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And they, so we sold for a while a Chippendales, uh, oh video yeah which was like soft 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 core porn yeah and you would just have it on a loop and there was one guy who usually they just had on like um 
g-strings and yeah. stuff they would eventually show they were like standing out in the middle of the desert they'd be dressed like a cowboy and then they would totally take over the coast but there was one guy that was in a tub and you would kind of see like his soapy ass coming up out of the water and that was always something that i made sure that every once in a while when i was working at the register i had where you were supposed to have that on in a loop all the time and i was just totally constantly waiting for that like half a second of where you saw like hot guy butt crack yeah kind of thing. but anyway going back to you know a mentor for me um uh the thing that there was an assistant manager named tom mm-hmm. that was very much of the uh he was a he he knew i was gay that was there was no question but i was still and he was very much of that tell, showing me through the way that he lived his life how freeing it could be and how wonderful it could be to to be that person and all that kind of stuff and then years later he was down here he, I happened to run into him at the airport at Tampa International Airport when I was dropping off my mom after a visit. And like, he was like, Oh my God. And we were like having this conversation. He's, and he was just like, So how are things going? I'm like, Well, I came out and he was super excited for me and, and all that. But, uh, you know, just by kind of being around him, I got to see what it looked like to live like a gay man in like the late eighties in South Jersey. Hmm. And. So and so in some ways he was kind of like a, a mentor to me without even necessarily realizing that. If he called you now and was like, "Would you suck my dick? Would you do it?" No, no. I was never attra- I was never attracted to him. I never. He was just. He was. He just was. He just always seemed to be in a good mood. He always seemed to be really happy. He was very funny, um, and. I remember once the first time I ever got drunk was at his house. He had a bunch of us over a bunch of the, the employees over and we were playing drinking games and I drank madrasses, which madrasses are vodka, cranberry juice and orange juice. They're a very pity drink, but they will fuck you up, especially when you're 18 and don't, you know, don't know how to hold liquor. And I just remember getting sick and throwing up. Thank you. On the main stage, the girls presented Disco Mentory. Uh, do you have do you have a specific thoughts? I mean, I can go through each scene. Do you have a specific thoughts on each scene? I was sort of disappointed with this. Um, the only things that I really liked, the only performances I liked, when it was the group performances. There yeah. was the group performance where that when they all uh, danced to a version of "You Make Me Feel Mighty Real" by Sylvester. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was the only thing that I was like, they all look really good. But I thought it was a very lackluster performance on just about everybody's part. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 you're right. The um, and the, oh, what? Then there was a red. Then that they okay. So guys who haven't watched the show or don't watch the show, they had like fake, like uh, music that paid an homage to what they were the song they were trying to do. So like if they did uh-huh. Disco Inferno was a song that sounded like Disco Inferno. They had one. I don't even know what song it was trying to pay homage to. Where the person just kept saying, um, who's that woman that could never win the Emmy? Oh, then she finally did. Susan Lucci? They just yeah, we're Susan saying Lucci, Poochie, Susan Lucci. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I thought, I'm thought i like, Susan Lucci? And then I'm like, okay, Susan Lucci was big in the 80s. Yeah. Because of all my children. But that was also the Disco Sucks section. So maybe they were t- – it, that didn't make any sense to me either. Yeah. Yeah, but all I kept hearing was Susan Lucci because they kept saying it over and over again, Gucci, Pucci, Susan Lucci. And I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? 
and then the We Are Family Soul Train inspired number. Yeah, it was to me. It was. It was fun, but it was not. It was underwhelming. If I'm being honest. Yeah, underwhelming is a really good way to describe that. I, I, like I was checking my phone for stuff like that. I didn't feel like there was anything really. No one really fucked up. Though I will say, and it'll come up later. During um uh, uh got mix performance with Tina and Candy, I was like, they're not really focusing on got mix, and I could see mm-hmm. why. Where you if you if you if you caught really quickly, she didn't really know the steps and was fucking up. But they just didn't. They focused on Candy, you know, who right. was just whatever. All right, well Taylor, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is time for the looks. The looks. All right. Um, so yeah. let's see. So, okay. The first look that we have is Tina Burner, who comes out in a paint outfit. Uh, the, the theme was little black dress. And then she rips off the paint overalls to reveal a black dress that has her signature fire colors on it and hand prints over the breasts and on the ass. Um, and kind of a sad shake and go wig. I did not necessarily like this look. I, I, I get. I get you want to incorporate red, yellow, and orange into all of your looks. No, this this wasn't it for me. Um, I thought that the pleather looked cheap, uh, and it looks it looked kind of Halloween costumey to me. So, not a fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I go saw, ahead. you're talking about Tina Burner, right? Tina Burner, yeah. I saw someone online say uh, that also too that this orange and red and black thing, like. Mm-hmm. If this was the first time, maybe it'd be impressive, but now it's just like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And just like, okay. What we're doing. All right. So, all right. So, Candy Muse, did you like the look at all, or were you, no? I agree with you. It was costuming. Okay. So, Candy Muse came out in a paper dress with a little black dress uh, written, uh, drawn on it with a paintbrush. She was covered in black paint, had paint in her hair to give it kind of a wet look, and it looked like she has a purse that was also a a corporation of dress i am not a fan of this candy muse i thought this was a great i thought that this was very interesting and for some reason i loved the wet hair with like the black like hairline and stuff there was something about it that i thought she almost looked pretty no she did she looked pretty to me i I will give her that one that i thought that this of all of her looks far this was my favorite look of the season for her so in that regard, I enjoyed it. Okay, so next up was Gottrick, who came out in the littlest of black dresses, where a little black dress inspired, we'll call it a merkin, with uh, pasties, and she had it always on the front and the back with slicked back hair. I, lo- I loved this look, too. I thought this was super original, um, and it showed off a very sexy body. Um, and I I very much enjoyed that. And though, even though twink bod isn't necessarily my thing, I I can appreciate it when you're able to celebrate your body and do it in a creative way. So I liked the look. Completely disagree. I know the dis- really. Yep, I feel the disappointing look. I feel that. Um, I don't think it was very original. We've seen something like this on the show before with either Valentina or Detox. Uh, I get what she was going for, but also too much like I was saying about Tina Burner. If this mm-hmm. was the first time we had seen anything like this from Gottmik, then I'd be like, oh, yes, bitch, work. But we've already mm-hmm. seen these episodes where it's just the, 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 for someone who went to fashion school 
in design school, she's shown us very little except from the very beginning. And she's very talented. We've seen it. It just seems like it's just always showing body yaddy yaddy. And it's like, okay, well, can we see, can we see something more? We've seen this. I've I've seen it from her and I've seen it before. So I was not particularly impressed. Yes, clever that it was a little tiny dress covering her crotch area, but yeah, wasn't, wasn't a Okay. So, well, next up was Elliot with two T's. Uh, speaking of uh, not impressed, where she came out in in a little black dress with a golden black uh, jacket. I liked the jacket more than the dress. I thought the dress looked like something you could get at Macy's. Um, she looked pretty. Her hair looked pretty and everything. But it was very off the rack to me and, and kind of boring. So I was not a fan of this look. I had no strong feelings about it. Okay, so next up was Tamisha Aman, who came out in a black dress that she created herself made out of neoprene, which they appreciated the craftsmanship of it. And I can appreciate the craftsmanship of it as well. Uh, I thought that she looked very elegant, very beautiful. But I also feel like the neoprene around the hips didn't necessarily do her any favors. It kind of made her hips extra wide, but not necessarily in a great curvy body way. All right. I have no story right. about this. Next up is Olivia Lux, who came out in a little black dress and crazy uh, red big Anna Nancy Wilson of heart hair <laughs> and uh, with her little tiny purse. Uh, I thought the dress, I wasn't a fan of the dress, but I thought it looked beautiful from the neck up um, or body looked beautiful. But the hair and the makeup were were on point. So I very much enjoyed that. So I'm looking at this and she looks fantastic. She looks fine. But to me, it reads as safe. I don't understand why she's later declared the winner. I think she was declared the winner more for her performance and the energy that she was giving versus um, versus the look. Okay. But I mean, technically, Elliot gave a really great performance and her look was lackluster as well. But I think that with I think the hair is what put Olivia over the top. Wouldn't you say that the same thing is true for Rosé and Denali? No, because I wasn't necessarily a fan of their performance. Okay, very good. Okay, so next up was Utica, and Utica came out dressed as one of her earrings, uh, where she was wearing a black dress with a with a hat that had a big hook up the top of it, and then a gold bodysuit underneath, and extens- extended uh, makeup with a silver face. Um, I, I get why she did what she did, and I think again it creates that creativity. Um, and I liked it. I liked it. It's, it's odd, but Utica's odd. So I think you, I think you have to go into this expecting when she's going to come down the runway, she's going to do something that may be a little confusing, but it's, it's pretty and it's fashion. And so in that regards, I like it because I like Utica. Okay. A couple of things. One, <laughs> I wish Utica, it makes me actually sad could just own who she is. I don't think Utica likes something about herself as much as I... Because Utica I really, really like very much. But she's always doing these goofy faces because I don't feel she's comfortable in her own skin. And I think if she owned the outfit more, it would have sold better too. Fuck the judges if you don't know what it is. This whole like, yeah. well, we don't know. We didn't know it was your earring. Well, okay. You didn't know it was the earring. Right? 
That's on you. Why is it on her? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, because they're the judges and, and the rules don't apply for her. The rules don't apply to each queen every single week. The rules change from week to week. We've, we've had that before where they tell a girl to be more truthful to herself. And the next week they're like, you need to tone it down. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, no matter what, they're constantly trying to, to fuck them. So I, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, next up is Denali who came out in a little black dress, uh, kind of doing a black widow, uh, uh, or Black Widow spider theme where she took off her hat and she had multiple extra eyes and there was big uh, spider webs down the back of the, uh, under the sleeves and on the back. I thought the dress was beautiful. I loved the idea of the spider webs and then the reveal at the end with the eyes and the black contact lenses she had was very creepy, um, but very sexy creepy. It reminded me, uh, which should come as a shock to no one who watches the show, of Widow Von Du's look last year when they did black wedding dresses. It kind of had the same it almost felt like an homage to that in some ways. And I thought she looked very sexy and very pretty. All right. Next up. I have no thoughts. Okay. Next up is Rose who came out with a gray, uh, with gray hair and a black, little black dress that had lots of gray tool around it to sort of, I think it was to accentuate, uh, the uh the shape of the little black dress, but I thought this just made it look super boxy the gray of the dress, the gray tool of the dress with the gray hair, I think just sort of washed her out. Uh, not my favorite look of Rose's, uh, but I mean, it made her safe. So I guess it was good enough for her, but it wasn't my favorite look. Mm-hmm. I have no thoughts on this look. Okay. So Lala Ree came out in uh, the tiniest of black dresses. Uh, it was way too small. Uh, and she kept having to hike it down and she had lots of silver jewelry on um that that laid on her sh- on her around her neck and on her shoulders uh i thought she looked pretty but the dress was way way too short if you can't keep the dress down then the dress isn't working for you uh so not not a great look from la la Ree this week no thoughts Enough? no thoughts okay so the last one to come out is simone who came out in another tiny little fringy dress and came out with hair that was an homage to RuPaul's uh, Back to My Roots video, which was, God, that song's almost 30 years old. Um, and I thought that this was a great look. It was a sexy look. It had lots of movement to it. The hair, if you if you watch the old video for Back to My Roots, it definitely, you can tell where she got the homage from it. And uh, I thought it was a great look for Simone. I thought why she was safe, I don't know. I think this look deserved to be at least on the runway to be not maybe not, maybe win I don't know but at least to mm-hmm. to to get praise for the look I, I I was floored by some of the looks that made it onto the main stage and she was just safe. What do you think about that? Um, I could see where I think that they may have been looking more at performance versus performance versus looks mm-hmm. and. I, because they didn't really, other than Utica, they didn't really seem to focus on the outfits. I know they talked a lot about Olivia's hair, mm-hmm. but it feels more like they were more focused on their their performances. And I don't know that Utica and Lala's disco sucks uh, part part of the disco mentory. It didn't make sense to me. It would have made more sense to me with the disco sucks if they had done like a hard rock song because that's really what when they burned all of those. Uh, when they burned all of those records in Chicago, it was a hard rock or a heavy metal channel that did that. So to have incorporated where there would have been a fold over to that, 
um, maybe disco going into to a hard rock song would have made more sense to me. There was a great podcast episode. I'm, unfortunately, I don't remember what the podcast was, where they talked about the history of the Dixie that that night when they ran over the records and I think with a steamroller and like lit them on fire and did all that. Lit them on fire, and then like a riot broke out. Yeah, yeah in- it's crazy. Yeah. But how that led, actually, that moment led to the birth of, like, hip-hop and House. Uh Uh, Because I think it's House, actually, specifically. Like, House music took away the strings of disco but kept the beat or something. The podcast is amazing. Uh It it, it traces how that moment spawned a whole other musical moment that turned disco into something else. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. Uh, All right. Well, Taylor... Anything else on the looks? Nope, that's the looks. Well, those are the looks. All right, on the main stage, RuPaul releases Gottmik, Denali, Rosé, Lala Marie, and Simone backstage for Untucked. Olivia Lux is the winner of this week's Maxi Challenge, while Tina Elliott and Utica land in the safe positions. That leaves Candy Muse and Tamisha Iman to go head-to-head in a lip-sync battle for their lives. The song, Hit em Up Style by Blue Cantrell. In the end... I love that song, by the way. Candy Muse that's here... Candy Muse here here's Rue say Shantae you stay while Tamisha Iman is asked to sashay away. Taylor the Latte Boy, any final thoughts on the episode? Why would you spend mm-hmm. an hour and a half sure. on a show yeah. talking about disco yeah. and then not have the lip sync for your life song be a disco song? Heaven knows. Hi everyone, my name's Joe Batanz. <laughs> I will be at the the M- <laughs> At the Chuckle Hut, I'll be at I'll be at Chuckle um, Hut Tuesday through Friday. <laughs> it didn't that didn't make any sense to me. I because I even turned to we have talked about the fact that you would love for them to do enough is enough, but probably the amount of money you would pay it would take for them to yeah. you know pay for the royalties for that would be too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I turned when they started recognizing that it was going to be about disco and stuff. I turned to, to my husband and said, "If they do Last Dance, which would make sense." Because it's the last dance for one of the two girls, I said I'll lose my shit because I love that song so much. Yeah, they've done a Donna Summer song in the past. But it might be the Barbara so Streisand uh, part. Well, but that, that that makes sense for the Enough Is Enough. Oh. But you know, Last Dance by Donna Summer. Plus, she has a huge catalog. Plus, there are other songs that they could do. I mean, they got the royalties to We Are Family. They could have easily done We Are Family as the last, as the lip sync for your life True. song. So or. Well, they've already done Sylvester because that was Bob versus Derek. I think. Well, was also they've feel. repeated songs. They've repeated a couple of songs. It's not unknown. Yeah, I just feel like that was a that was a missed opportunity for. I mean, there are a million disco songs out there. They could have done "I Love the Nightlife" to build up their build up their lesbian base of the show, True. but they chose not to do that. They chose to do "Blue Cantrell," which I looked up while we were talking, and that song is from two thousand one. Oh, because wow. you said ninety six, and I was like, that song can't be twenty five years old. Nope, but it's nineteen. It's twenty. It's twenty years old. So I can't believe that song's that old. Wow, but whatever. <laughs> can't believe my boyfriend's that old. So anyway. <laughs> So, uh, you know, this is where I want to get into the talk, but I'll keep it short because we've run long today. Mm-hmm. I feel the show is doing a disservice to Got Mick by, uh, by treating her with kid gloves and differently than they do the other cast members. 
there seems to be some sort of either they're afraid to say anything about her or show her in a bad light or a favoritism that I think does trans people no good. I can't remember who said it, but there is a famous civil rights person who talked about the soft bigotry of low expectations. And okay. that sort of feels like this. Like, we, uh, it almost feels the implicit the take that I'm getting from this is trans people are really sensitive and if we treat them like the other girls, they're going to get really upset. And by the way, the reason it's even more offensive is because Gottmik is very talented. We've seen Gottmik's talent. And so to not critique her when it, when she's due for a critique, I find to be not offensive, but it's not, it's doing a disservice to, to Gottmik and it's doing a, 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 a disservice to trans people. Because, okay. um, look, if anything, this was, was Gottmik safe this week? Yes. Yes. Because she was in untucked with the thing with her parents. Yeah. And I feel that Gottmik should, I, I don't like the look, but I'm afraid, I think they're afraid to say it. And, uh, but that could be wrong. Maybe they liked it, but there have been moments, but the, what I was talking about specifically, why she should have been on that main stage. If you watch the disco segment again, and mm-hmm. you watch closely, you will see in her, in Gottmik's number, Gottmik is floundering throughout yeah. the number, but they've cut it in such a way that you don't see that. And the fact that the show is ignoring it and not calling Gottmik out on it, not that she, not that Gottmik has to go home, not that Gottmik has to lip sync, but to just ignore it is unfair because it's saying that there are different standards that we need to lower the standards for trans people when this Mm -hmm. is true for any minority like if they were to have a different lower set of standards for uh asian people or for black people that would not be fair that people who are different people of color they just want the chance to compete on the same level and okay. and I think the that's why I said there's a lot of um, production heavy-handed production here because usually we see it in um, during the production itself with story producers, but in this case I think it's an editing thing. I think it's an editing thing. Um, well, no, because they didn't choose her, so the, the so the editors have to now justify. Because they probably see the footage and go, like, Gottmik doesn't know the steps. Gottmik, you know, like, and so they have to justify it. And so, like, if it's one of these things that, I don't know where Gottmik goes, lie. But um, if Gottmik goes very far, you might wonder, how did she go this far? Okay. Or the opposite of where they're ignoring a lot of the errors in judgment, and then when they suddenly come for her out of nowhere, it doesn't make any sense. We don't see the arc of whether she either starts to improve, continues to improve, or continues to go down. Yeah, we, there's no storyline whatsoever. There's no storyline, yeah. Okay, well, Taylor, let's call it a day on that note. 
that's going to do it for this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Be sure to join us next week and every week as we continue to discuss, dissect, and deconstruct each brand new episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13. So for Taylor the Latte Boy and myself, sashay away until next week. Thank you for listening to RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Have something to say? Email us at dragracerecap at afterthought.media. For more Drag Race and LGBTQ content, support us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can follow Tanner the Latte Boy on Instagram and Twitter at P-I-M-C Taylor. Follow Joe Batanz on Instagram at Joe Batanz. That's J-O-E-B-E-T-A-N-C-E. This episode was produced by Luke Stamen. Drag Race Recap is an Afterthought Media podcast. We'll be right back.